I would like to thank the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration for all the content in this episode. This was taken from a six-part series called Roadmap to Recovery. And I just want to thank this administration for all of their work. Um, They clarify and really post really solid, scientifically-based and experience-based information for us. So while we're on our journey, we can have a really solid reference point to have success in our recovery. So thank you, SAMHSA, and enjoy this episode. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Sober is Dope podcast. You're listening to part two of our roadmap to recovery. This is a very important series. It's from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. And this is a matrix model. The purpose of this is to take us through the stages of recovery. I was really compelled to do this series for you guys because so many people are relapsing all right every day there's going to be someone that's going to be successful someone that's going to cave in their recovery and i want to eliminate the risk of any of us in the sober though community or anyone out there um i want to eliminate the risk and chances of relapse but in order to combat the potential relapse, we have to understand the stages of our recovery and how these stages affect us and how they can easily lead to relapse. So in the first part, we talked about withdrawal, the the importance of understanding what your body's going through, the exhaustion, needing nutrition, emotional withdrawal, depression, raw emotions, the roller coaster. We also talk about the importance of scheduling, having a schedule, having structure. If you don't have any structure, it leads to boredom. Boredom is a major trigger that can lead to relapse. Then we also talked about abstinence and the honeymoon effect. That period where you feel like you're in total control, you got this uh, recovery thing down packed, you feel good, you have a lot of energy, you're overconfident. Um, This is that period in which a lot of people could actually relapse. And that's where I got stuck. So in part two, we're going to attack the next stages. So ladies and gentlemen, after we leave the honeymoon effect, we have to talk about triggers. All right. Now, for me, I think in my experience with counseling people and talking to many people that's dealing with in um, with their addictions actively and also people that's in active recovery triggers are really kind of like unique to the user and i think this is the stage all right so in this part two this is this part this is section four so we had the part one we had withdrawals we have scheduling we have the honeymoon effect and now we're talking about triggers and the thing about triggers for me my personal triggers um are like if i go into a liquor store for example like we have this live and let live thing and like let's say i have to go in the liquor store and buy a bottle a wine for a friend that's getting married or something. I try not to do this. I'm just giving you an example. It's been times where I had to go into a liquor store. Um, and um, I smell the cardboard boxes. 
the liquor comes in all these cardboard boxes and just that smell of the cardboard and the smell of the actual liquor store is a trigger for me right certain type of gum like that I used to eat to cover up my liquor if I smell them that's a trigger for me um not you know meaning that it could now what does that mean does that mean that that's gonna force me to relapse no it means that it could it could bring back memories and sensations associated with my addiction which could bring me back into a state of consciousness related to my addiction so if i'm like a if this thing is triggering that euphoria that experience um Believe it or not, um, I give you another example. Let's say I go, I used to drink a lot at a specific friend's place, right? And I used to smoke a lot of cigarettes there and drink a lot. And for me, I'm someone who quit smoking five years ago, quit drinking seven years ago. I go visit this friend, the smell of their couch, the smell of the furniture, the ashtrays. That familiar smell could trigger me because this was a place that I, I frequently used. So understanding what a trigger is and learning how to get the hell out of Dodge when you're approaching a trigger. So that day when I walked into that liquor store to buy the, the bottle of wine for the for the um, some occasion, I smelt those boxes and I said, wait a minute. Nah, man, I got to get out of here. This shit smells too familiar. And I sent one of my friends in to get it. It just brought back all of those memories, man. Like, that's where I live, man. I would go back and forth to the liquor store all day. That was my thing. I'm an addict, man. I ain't afraid to say it. The shit was crazy. The smells triggered every damn impulse that I had just smelling the cardboard boxes. Um, another thing, music, listening to sad songs. So there's certain songs. There's about three or four songs that I love, but I don't listen to because I listen to them so much when I was in a depressed state and when I was using that they can trigger me, right? So I have to know what music to stay away from. Ex-girlfriends or current girlfriends or ex-boyfriends or current boyfriends can be trigger. Bars, definite trigger. I like to go to places that I don't mind if they have a bar, but they have to have a restaurant area, right? So I always tell my girlfriend... Um, like if we go to the sports bar to watch a game, sometimes so we're sports people, we want to watch the game. My thing is, I'm like, I am not sitting at the bar, right? Um, I can sit at the bar. Don't get me wrong. I'm really confident and secure. But in the beginning stages, I was like, I'm not sitting at the bar. I could go, but I have to sit at a table, right? Let me sit at a table. Because it separates me from the madness and I'm not right in front of the liquor. So ladies and gentlemen, this next segment is extremely important. I hope you take this to the bank. In order to avoid relapse and increase the success of your recovery, you have to be a master of what your personal triggers are. Enjoy this segment. Catch you on the other side. Hello. And welcome to the Roadmap for Recovery, a family education video produced by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. A key concept in recovery is how to deal with triggers. Triggers are reminders or cues that spark craving, and craving can lead to using drugs or drinking. Everyone has different triggers, and they can be almost anything. People, places, things, times, Activities, feelings. 
people who were triggers for me were my party friends, my using friends, my classmates, um, uh, gals who I would get together with on weekends or at nights who were on the same plane I was as far as using goes. Um, they like to use as often as I do as, and as much as I would use and what I like to use. Um, so they were triggers for me. They were definite triggers for me. And um, you know, the boyfriends that I had during those years, they were triggers for me because they, they used as I used and I used as they used. We all used together and they were definite triggers for me. I would go to a park in my neighborhood um, to drink and, and that was a place for me that would that was a trigger. Um, parties, you know, if, if there was a party going on, a, a school party um, where there was always alcohol present, those were triggers for me. Um, going to bars, they, those were triggers for me. I mean, I can remember one time getting in a, one of the guys that we used to hang out and use drugs with, he got in, in recovery as well. And I got into his car one night after we had left the meeting. And his car, had, we used to use in that car a lot. And it had the same smell. You know, smells, I guess, for it triggers for me. I remember getting in that car and thinking, man, that guy just reminds me. Being with him in this car, I told the guy, I said, man, you got to let me out of this car. You know, so I'm at the Exxon, and he's trying to figure out what's going on. I said, man, I just got to get out of this car. The striking of a match, the smell of sulfur, for instance, could have me revisit what it smelled like to, to cook the dope, for instance. Summertime was a trigger for me because I had no structure in my life, you know, as far as going to school, things like that. I had no structure in my life. Um, weekends were triggers for me um, because, again, no structure. Triggers for drug use for me in early recovery could be things such as music. I, I think that's top of my a song, you know, a certain song. Today I, I remember some triggers like that. If I see old buddies of mine, you know, early in recovery, and they ask me what I'm doing, you know, you want to come this weekend to this, that, and the other, and, and you know, that's a trigger to me. That's why I try to stick with the, the people in recovery. Other triggers for me, you know, are probably any kind of drug use on TV. I mean, you know, if I see, a, you know, any kind of commercials or things that, or watch certain movies, it's amazing, you know. A quiet night under the stars is a trigger for me because I used to drive out to a farm and, and use by myself in my car and listen to them in my trucks and listen to music. I was very uncomfortable with other people. It's very uncomfortable um, with just kind of living life on life's terms and letting it all work out. And I was so afraid you weren't going to like me. The only thing that was going to put that to rest was if I had the distraction of intoxication. Um, so triggers were uh, any social situation, any family situation, anything where I had to just rely on myself to kind of be me. Um, the only thing I really knew how to do to get through that uh, was drink. The big three for me was that the lack of coping skills, how easily I'd be frustrated, and how often stress was a major component in my mind. You know, those was the internal triggers, you know, the, the lack of coping skills.
and everything around me required an adult response and I was functioning as a teenager in my own mind and, and I was just inadequate to, to, to function in an adult society. The sequence of events between encountering a trigger and using a substance can feel automatic, as if all the steps take place at once. However, there are points in the sequence where a person can stop the process and not use. During treatment, people learn these sequential steps that lead to craving and how to interrupt the process. The best idea is to try to avoid all triggers. But if one is encountered, people need to learn to interrupt it before it reaches the craving stage. This can be done with a technique called thought stopping. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. The next segment is really important. It's called the wall. Um, and it's a real difficult period. I remember this period. Um, I had a lot of ways in which I dealt with this period. And um, this is a difficult period. This is about 12 to 16 weeks into your recovery journey. And this is the point where your brain and body is really rebuilding itself and you can really feel it this is the point where the shock of initial of the honeymoon phase kind of wears off you know you're making progress you're doing everything right you're still in your recovery but now i think this is the period where you really need the therapy where you really need to hang in there with the treatment you really need a solid support system. You really need a lot of rest. You really need to take it easy and give yourself a break. This is the period where a lot of people tend to relapse. All right. They have something called. Um, this is the period where you'll deal with a lot of relapse justification. Where it will become difficult for the user. So I think when I notice people out there in the community struggling and they're technically new and they'll get to day 60, um, you know, 70, 80, and you start seeing some people relapse, it's because they're not aware that this is the wall. They're not, they're not, they don't understand that this is a form of protracted um, abstinence. This is a very important stage. Now, I'm a proponent for one, going to detox, right? Because when you go to detox, you know, your medical detox really assists you. But also, I always tell people, try to go to a long-term or even a short to intermediate intermediate um, rehab. Because I stayed in rehab for a year. So the good thing for me is when I hit this stage, I could just go back to my dorm and go to sleep. All I had to do all day was go to my groups, go to my meetings, handle my appointments. We had a curfew, so we weren't, we couldn't burn out. If we burnt out, it would be in our own place. Meaning that we could stay up watching TV and stuff. But because we were tired, we'll go to bed. I would knock out around 9 to 10, right? So having a curfew is important. Having groups is important. Having a support system is important and really getting a lot of rest. Because if you could make it through the turbulence of the wall, which is this period, 12 to 16 weeks of your recovery, you have a really good chance of um, seeing success in your recovery long term. Now, this is a period where I think I would 
also relapsed. I relapsed a few times. So I relapsed. Um, this is one of those things where it's like, uh, man, I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I don't feel well. My mood is upside down. My emotions are everywhere. I don't know why my body hurts. I don't know why I'm dizzy. I'm kind of disoriented. And this is that period where you're trying to figure it all out. So ladies and gentlemen, the next segment is important. Um, just keep in mind some of the signs during this period is lack of energy, lethargy, boredom. All right. Things that will help real quickly. Exercise, a lot of rest, a lot of exercise, group and taking it easy. Enjoy the next segment. Stage three of recovery is called the wall. The person has kept recovery going past the early stages and enters a very difficult period. This period usually lasts 12 to 16 weeks. It's called the wall because suddenly recovery gets much harder. Even though the person in recovery is making positive strides every day, stage 3 can be very challenging because of the healing processes that the brain and the body are going through. Many relapses happen during this period especially if the person is recovering from stimulant abuse. It is critical to have support and remain in treatment during this difficult time. During this challenging time, people may experience difficult symptoms like lack of energy, difficulty concentrating, memory problems, sleeplessness at night, and fatigue during the day. Boredom is a problem, and it may become difficult to care about anyone or anything. It may feel as if no one cares or understands. The loneliness and hopelessness seem as though they will never end. But as time goes on, brain activity stabilizes and the negative emotions and low energy that can be part of this stage pass. Someone at Matrix told me that uh, aerobic exercise was excellent uh, to help you get through the wall, to uh, um, ameliorate the symptoms, the otherwise miserable symptoms. And so I did that, and that was very helpful. In the beginning, I wasn't doing it, and I was very jangly and unhappy. And then when I started working out a little bit more regularly, it was a big help, and that was something I got from Matrix, so that's terrific. It's that kind of very simple, very day-to-day, real-life oriented help that you can get from Matrix that makes it very invaluable in early recovery, I think. Relapse is a serious risk during stage three because people feel so bad. If these feelings take over, people might let go and abandon the positive changes that they've made. Here are some other relapse risks. Inability to feel pleasure. Conflicts with other people. No motivation. Not taking care of yourself. Or trouble sleeping. The wall is a very difficult stage to get through. It is good for people in this stage to remember that feeling this way is a sign that they are on track and that the brain is healing. Exercise helps relieve the wall symptoms. An aerobic exercise for 20 to 30 minutes each day can make this stage easier. One day at a time, I've, I've developed that concept in my head, you know, and, and that's what they kept preaching to me. Just do it a day at a time. You don't have to, you know, quit using drugs the rest of your life. Just do it today. And that was, a, that was an easy, and it still is. In my life today, I use that concept every morning when I wake up. 
I pray and ask, ask for, you know, to give me the day, and it works. Not being um, rested or not having um, worked out. I work out as part of my program today, and when I don't work out, the stress of my day-to-day -day life will sneak in, and I not even recognize it until I, I, I remember the fact that, well, you haven't been to the gym in three or four days. The things I do uh, for my uh, relapse uh, triggers is, yeah, I do a lot of writing. I, I, I talk with a lot of people. I'm a creative writer. I write out my stories, you know, as a story form, you know. Um, and I look back on it, you know, I've, I've got um, stories in my life, you know, they're humorous. I try to look at it in a humorous light, too, you know. I try to keep that humor instead of getting all angry and everything, you know, about things, you know. I don't want to help hold anything, uh, any kind of resemblance. During the wall stage, the addicted brain can trick the person in recovery into something called relapse justification. This is when a person subconsciously thinks of reasons to behave in ways that move him or her closer to relapse. For instance, the person may decide to return something to a friend who uses drugs. The matrix model explains this is the addicted part of the brain trying to hijack the rational brain by putting the person in a situation where it is easy to use again. This can happen any time, but it tends to happen more during the wall stage. When people in recovery create a daily schedule and stick to it, they can reduce the chance of falling prey to a relapse justification. If I wasn't drinking, I, looking back, was lining up for the next drunk. I was gathering um, justifications. My children don't do what I tell them. My husband doesn't appreciate me. Whatever it was, I was building up to justifying my next drunk. I never drank socially. When I drank at all, or especially if I was taking medication with it, I didn't know when I would stop or what I would do and not remember. Ladies and gentlemen, this is probably the most important part of this series. Please pay attention. I love you all. Good luck. Um, I will have my closing remarks at the end. Um, if you made it this far in the series, I commend you. I love you all. Enjoy. The fourth stage of recovery is called adjustment and resolution. This stage extends from the end of the wall stage through the rest of the person's life. Adjustment is when life resumes with some normalcy. Resolution is learning to live without drugs or alcohol and beginning to deal with job and relationship issues while staying abstinent. When people reach stage four, it's quite an accomplishment. They've gotten through a difficult time. At this point, it can be easy to think, well, now I can relax. Life can go back to how it was before. But that's a trap. People in recovery and their family members need to understand that the behavior changes made during these early stages are not temporary. They represent a new life. By the time people reach stage four, they've been focusing for months on the day-to-day -day process of recovery. Now, in stage four, what they've learned needs to become part of their life.
the focus in stage four shifts from learning skills to applying those skills to maintain abstinence and achieve a balanced life. People need to find ways to incorporate recovery activities with family, relationships, work, school, leisure, and taking care of themselves. If people feel as if they've recovered and they forget relapse dangers, they risk their recovery. People can learn to keep their lives balanced. The increased emotional stability that comes with this stage allows people to begin to address their other problems as well. Vocational problems, work issues, mental disorders, housing situations. The person in recovery can now begin to tackle some of these challenges. Well, you know, I was an alcoholic very young and uh, when I try to fit in one sentence the reason I was an alcoholic, I can say it's because I didn't want to be me. And, and the big change is now I'm pretty comfortable with being me. And that by no means means that life is easy because life will never be easy. It never, you know, um, relaxes in any way. But it does get much more enjoyable. And uh, I wasn't able to really accept myself or the world as it was when I was actively drinking. My drinking was a response to that ineptitude. And being in recovery, you learn tools to do that and eventually enjoy that um, and be productive. It doesn't mean bad things won't happen. It doesn't mean it isn't hard. It doesn't mean you have to work really hard to get towards your goals and what you want out of life and that it doesn't involve frustration and pain and fatigue. But it does mean that, you know, you are finally in a position to be a happy person. I think people in recovery have to work harder on that. Now I have 10 years of recovery to, uh, to have something to compare to. And in 10 years of recovery, I've done more, gone more places, had more success uh, than in all my time before that. Recovery is a fascinating experience because you're actually learning. Uh, well, for me, for most people, I think that start using when they're a teen, you're learning how to do life for the first time. And you're learning that um, yeah. life can be really awesome. Yeah, after going through my intensive uh, matrix program, uh, I had social support, which I was able to go in and carry on my treatment. That was very instrumental on uh, being able just to carry the program on um, and remind me of all the things that I had learned previous in uh, matrix. Being able to uh, come in and share my everyday life that uh, the ordeals that I go through in everyday life with uh, the other people that are going through the same thing that I had gone through that I was familiar with uh, going through Matrix with these people you know I had had a core um, trust with. Well the good part about having a structure based on happiness is it gets so much easier because you get used to being happy. We are pleased to have been able to bring this information to you from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. As your loved one goes through treatment, it is helpful to know more about the disease of addiction and understand the steps that lead to a strong recovery. Although recovery is never easy, it helps to understand what your loved one is going through. We wish you a successful and wonderful trip
This is a stage of healing, seriously, ladies and gentlemen. If you could really survive this stage, and this is where a lot of people relapse because they feel lousy, the thrill of recovery starts to wear off, and the reality sets in, and you don't have to, you can't go back to your drug of choice to cope. You have to learn to cope on your own, and you're gonna feel a little bit down. But, you know, this is the stage where you have to fight through and be courageous. And remember, be careful of relapse justification during this stage. Going, you know, taking, you know, going back to a familiar place, a slippery place, a trigger zone. Be careful. The last stage is called adjustment and resolution. And this is the stage that I'm in. I'm in I'm seven years in my recovery. So the last stage is when you hit the end of the wall period, right? And it's the rest of your life. It's that period from the end of the wall to the rest of your life. So after you get through this first, you know, you figure your first 60 to 300 days or whatever, how long it takes is different for most people. I would say your first year would be the end of the wall. And then you're going to deal with this recovery for the rest of your life. And this is a really important period because the adjustment is you dealing with life and life resuming as normal. Now you're resuming life and your recovery. And the resolution part is where you really have to learn to live without drugs and alcohol. And if you get to this stage, you know, congratulations. But this is a very sensitive stage because you have to find ways to really keep your recovery going. This is that ongoing stage where you hear people say, I'm like me, I'm seven years sober. So what do I do, right? I, I, I recognize my recovery every day. I embrace my recovery. I live the one day at a time lifestyle. I watch out for my triggers day to day. I never get complacent in my recovery. I never get too cocky. I never take on things that I can't handle. I never put myself in a situation where it's I'm too close to alcohol. Like I would never go to like a beer fest or go away to a destination vacation where everyone's going to be drinking. That's all they're going to be doing. I have to be realistic and I have to live a more disciplined life. So my biggest piece of advice I could give you is that when you're dealing with this adjustment or resolution stage, just be realistic. You might not be the same person. I'm not the same pop you can and I was seven years ago. I'm not the same pop I was 10 years ago. I'm not the same pop I was two years ago. I'm comfortable with being a little bit more conservative now. I'm comfortable with not being a party boy anymore. I'm comfortable with not turning up all day. I'm comfortable with feeling uncomfortable in clubs. That's who I am now. But I'm so much more. So I'm not trying to be what I was. I'm embracing what I am, right? And I'm embracing the new me and life as a recovering addict and I'm living my best life and that's why I'm successful. I'm being extremely honest and realistic. And for everyone out there that's relapsing, it happens. It's part of your story. It's part of your journey. Relapse is a part of my story, right? But that wasn't the end of my story. My story is I'm out, I, I beat the wall and now I'm in my adjustment and resolution phase and I want that for you. 
And how you get there is that you have to be honest, you have to love yourself, and you can't get complacent. You have to fight every day of your life to the day we die. And one of the ways I keep that in perspective is I made a promise to God, and I said I'm never going to break that promise to God. And I told God, if you get me through this, I'll fly straight. So I keep that in the back of my head, ladies and gentlemen. And so look, I love you all. I hope this is helpful. Thank you, Samsa, for this beautiful, 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 beautiful um, special that we did. Our roadmap to recovery, the matrix model, take it back to the basics. The reason why so many people are relapsing is they're not watching their triggers, their justification, they're justifying potential relapse, they're going back to slippery places, they're not setting a game plan, they have no structure and no schedule in their life, they're not going into, they're not dealing with ongoing therapy and treatment, and they're not getting enough rest and not dealing with the mental health component of your recovery. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's get real honest. Posting on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter all day about how many days sober you are is one degree of it but that's not doing the real work i want us all to put the same amount of energy we put into showcasing our sobriety into really doing the work i want to see more i just finished my therapy course i just finished this i just went to a cognitive behavioral training i just came from my meeting uh this is my second year at aa i want to see more you know i'm exercising i hit the gym i just learned meditation i took a yoga class i i you know i'm, I'm graduated from school because you have to keep building you know, let's keep building. Let's just not get and watch out for the honeymoon phase and definitely watch out for the wall. And and ladies and gentlemen, believe it or not, this information goes a long way for me. Right. Because I didn't know I was still in the adjustment phase. I didn't know I was in adjustment resolution. I'm thinking I'm all good. So you see, seven years in, I'm still adjusting to my new life. And I'm one bad decision away from potential relapse. So I have to do the same amount of work a person that's two weeks into their recovery has to do to maintain my success rate. So I love you all. Go in peace. Love. Fight like hell for your recovery, ladies and gentlemen. And let's help each other be successful. I can't stand when I see someone relapsing online. Although it's part of your journey, it breaks my heart and it's avoidable. We just have to respect the power of our addiction as much as we respect our recovery. I love you, ladies and gentlemen. God bless you. Good luck. And I'll catch you on the other side.